0: Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 95. On Horror Movie Podcast you hear in-depth horror movie reviews especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are
1: Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA, and Wolfman Josh and Jay, Friends Don't Lie. <laughs>
0: That's right. Well guess what? This is no lie. I am a super happy man because right before we started recording, I just purchased my plane tickets for the meetup in Indiana the weekend of September 16th through the 18th. We won't waste time talking about it now, but if people want to learn more about that, look in the show notes for this episode. And if you come to that, you can watch Blair Witch with Jay of the Dead in the theater. Let's do it. (laughs) Speaking of um, theaters and travels and so forth, Wolfman, you spent some time in Canada doing some pretty fantastic things.
1: Oh, well, I just mentioned on the last show that I was going to be there for the Fantasia Film Fest, which was really exciting. Um, I also got to meet a guy named James Mullinger, who is a stand-up comedian from the UK, who's currently living in Canada. And uh, he's a big horror fanatic. And he had me on his podcast once called Underground Nights. And now... Just a uh,
0: clarification. Did you say... He's a big horror fanatic or a big whore fanatic. <laughs> it's- horror. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> Just that particular time it did sound like you said a big whore fanatic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's of some
1: your kids are but he's a married man, Jack.
0: Okay, I see. I mean Dr. Shock's a big horror fanatic, but, but well, we'll leave that.
1: Uh, <laughs> only in spirit. <laughs> right. <laughs> But anyway, so I went, my intention was to go see Kevin Smith's yoga hosers at Fantasia film fest. And I was really excited because I'd waited in line at Sundance <laughs> and did not get in the movie.
0: What's wrong. And
1: I, <laughs> the same exact thing happened. I waited in line at Fantasia and did not get in the movie. So total bummer. I still have not seen yoga hosers, but as I was leaving Montreal at the airport, who is just a few people in front of me in line, but Kevin Smith and his daughter, Harley Quinn. No way. Yeah, so we snake back and forth through the line, and there, there comes a couple times where he, he's quite a ways ahead of me, but just due to the way the line is snaking, it's an incredibly long security line. I pass him a couple of times, and we have so many people in common that we know, but he doesn't know that, obviously. And right. We had tried to interview him for Clean Flicks and— it's a long story, but I um I just wanted to talk to him so bad, but I didn't want to be that guy, and I didn't want to be a total weirdo creep in line. Um, I did end up taking a f- secret photograph of him.
0: <laughs> <in a security laughs> line. I love it.
1: But luckily, the way it went getting through customs – And security, I actually came out the exact same time as him. So he and I are walking down the hallway together toward the duty-free shop. Wow. And I finally decide, all right, I'm just going to say something. So I say, Mr. Smith. And he turns around thinking he's just come out of security. So I think he thought he was in trouble for something. (laughs) Uh He looked kind of scared when he turned around. Uh And uh, I said, hey, I just want to tell you I'm a big fan. And uh, I wanted to give you a copy of my movie, if that's okay. So I handed him a DVD of Clean Flicks. He said he'd watch it. And I told him that his friend Malcolm had seen it. And enjoyed it, and uh, he was very cordial and, and kind. And uh, wow. I got a chance can't to hand nice. in the movie, which I was really happy about.
0: Do you know what Billy Joel does when you um, give your music to him? Does he throw in the garbage? He throws it back to the audience and says <laughs> something like, "Yeah, sorry, I can't do that. Too many lawyers."
2: <laughs> so
0: that was nice that Kevin Smith. That's pretty cool. Yours. Yeah. I think
3: it's kind of funny you're you, were, you were being you, you don't want to be that guy yet you chase Sean Cunningham
1: ham through the streets of New York <laughs> <laughs> and, and approached him in a dark alleyway no less
0: that is perfect oh I love it
1: anyway that's, that's all I just wanted to share that little Kevin Smith story from from uh, Montreal and say I still have not seen Yoga hosers, so we'll see if we ever get a chance that's a shame
0: Josh the thing is life is too short and too precious. <laughs> Come on, Josh! <laughs> oh no, no! I will not watch that. I can't. I can't do it. But the
1: Montreal crowd loved it. They were laughing at all the. They got all the inside Canadian jokes. They gave him a standing of, ovation, and he posted on Twitter the next day that it was one of the top five screenings of his entire life. So wow! And the best. Nice. Screenings.
0: Okay. Well, that's awesome. I'm happy to hear this then. Okay, so speaking of things that I am willing to watch, I just wanted you guys to know <laughs> I got a chance to catch up with the brand new 2016 horror film just released recently. I think July 29th was the release date officially, and it's a movie called Viral. Disease
1: control centers has confirmed that the virus has spread throughout the United States. public is calling it Worm Flu.
2: New cases were confirmed today. Governments are on high alert.
0: I don't know if any of you are following the news. If you're not, you should be. There's something going around. It's making people sick.
2: Gracie? Gracie? Help! What happened? I don't know. Go get the nurse.
0: Oh, you're okay. Okay, so this is an infected film. Just want everybody to know that right up front. Do you guys like infected movies or are you just like kind of miffed because it's a riff <laughs> on zombie films?
3: No, I, I enjoy them. I mean, that's 28 Days Later is an infected movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, viable. I think it's, you know, it's a shame it gets tied in with the zombies and it's like, oh, are you an infected or a zombie fan or whatever? But no, I, I, think, it's, I think it's good. I, I like them.
0: Okay, what about you, Josh?
1: I tend to prefer zombie movies, but I also tend to just kind of um, pair, you know, classify them all as zombie movies, so I'm right. not too concerned about it.
0: But the fact that infected, this infected, I mean these scenarios many times, there are so many aspects or elements about them that could actually happen. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it give it a, an extra air of realism to you? Because like today, for example, yeah. I looked up at the TV and I saw um, all this stuff about Zika virus in the United States. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I mean, not cool as in I'm happy that that children of men is coming to pass in our country. But I'm just saying that it's just crazy that, to see that kind of thing on TV. But that's why, I, I don't know, I, I just don't see zombies like actual living dead being, like, reanimated again. I don't see that happening. But I do see an infected apocalypse. I, I am. I believe in resurrection. But when you're resurrected, you're not living dead. <laughs> that, that's okay. different. To, but, but I do see... That was, Are you sure? That tomato, tomato. <laughs> that was hilarious.
3: Are you sure, though? I mean, has, has, has the only person who's ever really been resurrected that I know of is... While well, we're getting into the Bible here. But you don't really know what happens when you're resurrected, do you?
0: Well, you're, you're not dead anymore. That's one one crucial point. But anyways.
3: Mm. Have you talked to a resurrected
0: person? I, I guess we'll have to save this uh, because I... We
3: should, we'll save it. We'll, we'll pick it up again at End of Days.
0: I, I Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Let me like, review
1: the Schwarzenegger film End of Days. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I meant, what I meant. yeah.
0: <laughs> You know, everybody has been uh, so kind to us, um, honestly. But now, now I'm so gun shy about like w- what to talk about on this podcast and what we can't talk about. <laughs> it's so funny, oh, yeah, right? You so, got... anyway,
3: so anyway, Pokemon Go.
0: No, no, don't even, don't even do that, or I'm gonna bite you with some kind of virus. Um. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> this movie Viral is directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman. And it stars uh, Sophia Black, D'Alia, and then Annalie Tipton. You may recognize Annalie Tipton. And then Michael Kelly, you'll definitely recognize him. And the premise is, I mean, this is very similar to a movie that I reviewed not too long ago. And, and I actually recommended it to everybody. Do you guys remember um, when I talked about What We Become? That uh-huh. movie.
1: Yeah, yeah yep
0: yeah I like that very much. um if you remember, I think it was it was a foreign film for certain. It may have been a Swedish film, I believe it was like a seven out of ten to me a strong rental and um not a lot happened in it. but you remember that that movie was kind of framed showing us what would happen or what it would be like um right at the beginning of this like outbreak in the apocalypse where things are starting to fall apart. And people are starting to get wise to it and starting to get suspicious of what's happening. Well, not that I know of. I don't believe this was like an American remake of that, but it feels exactly like it's an American remake of that movie. There are so many similar story beats. Didn't we talk about this phenomenon before? How is it or why is it that sometimes in Hollywood or just in the cinema in general, You have movies that come out that are actually the same kind of themes and story beats, even though like nobody was ripping off anybody else. It just we're all thinking the same way. How does that happen?
1: I mean, I think there are situations where people are ripping off others. I think there are other situations where people have similar ideas around the same time. Then it's a race to see who can get it produced first. So that you can have the successful one, you know, like Ants versus Bugs Life kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have situations where uh, someone le- legitimately saw the screenplay and said, let's make our own version of that. Like, uh, that would be Cop Out and the other guys right. as an example of that. But then I also just think there are situations where whatever's going on in our world, and again, I'm a little gun shy as well. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about whether it's, you know, whatever recent factors are happening in politics or war or the economy or or, you know, news stories, these might spark certain ideas in filmmakers and, you know, and over time it results in a number of films on the same topic. The Zika virus might be a good example of something that might uh get someone thinking in terms of an infected film. So
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think that um you know, because of the release dates of these films, it's true that maybe in the screenwriting process, like maybe a couple of screenwriters were ships in the night and they were sharing ideas and one of them ripped off the other one. But the fact that these end up being like in production at the same time and released at about the same time, I think that's kind of fascinating. So this is a Blumhouse production yeah. and this is a, um, they, they call it the worm Flu in this and it's um a worm like parasite. And if you look at the poster art for this, and I think I I just want to put it out there. I think we all agree, I think the poster art for horror films is very crucial. Don't you guys agree with that? Like
2: oh absolutely. That's a Mm -hmm. that's a
0: big part of the enjoyment for me. And in fact, one day we should have a themed episode where we discuss all the different horror poster art. That would be incredible to like go into those yeah. and maybe have some of our, our fan, you know, we have listener artists who are exceptional. We were talking about this before the show. It would be neat to have their perspective on it. And they could probably oh, yeah. give us a lot of, I'm um, certain, they could give us a lot of insights that we don't even have about these posters. And we, yeah, can, we have several
1: <laughs> talented artists who are listeners of the show and some that are professional poster Designers and artists as well. I know. I know we have a listener that runs a company that uh, holds art exhibits for posters. I mean, we've got a lot of mm-hmm. uh, people in that kind of world that are listeners of the show.
0: Like true gifts out there for real. But but anyway, you look at the the viral poster art here, and you'll see a a, a woman's face. It's like a close up of her nose and her mouth, and she's got some seriously red lips. He's got a little blue tint to her skin. And no, the people in this movie are not blue. It's like a greenish blue, but I think it's just the lighting in this poster. And then she's got this worm-like tongue sticking out. And it reminds me a lot of the ads that we saw for um, American Horror Story. And and I I almost thought, I almost passed, this is how shallow... Jay of the Dead is. I almost passed up this movie just because I'm like, ah, oh, they're ripping off American horror story, you know what I mean? And I also I just almost just kind of dismissed it, but that's ridiculous. So, anyway, the poster art may or may not grab you, and actually the what you see here on the poster art um that doesn't really happen that way in the film. That's not how it's not quite accurately representative. It's almost as if, and I don't know why I'm going into this minutia, but it's almost as if they somebody just said to the artist, okay, this movie is kind of about this and this is the idea. And then without seeing the movie, they kind of went and drew this. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works. But anyway, you got this family, you got a dad and two daughters and they just moved to a new area. You can tell right away that the mother and the father are a little bit estranged. The mother's not in the picture right at the moment. And so the dad is a high school teacher, and he's got two um, daughters in high school, they're sisters obviously. And the one daughter, the elder daughter, uh, played by Anna Lee Tipton, she is um, you know kind of a a rebel. She's one of those types, you know, all kind of into trouble, real mischievous. And then the other girl is a goody-goody, the Sophia Black, the alia. And um, so you've got this dynamic between them, but you like them all, honestly. The the father and the two daughters, you're fond of them. But what ends up happening is you slowly get this outbreak, this worm flu virus, and we see how it affects this family, okay? and And the premise is, you know one of the family members gets it. And so it has a Maggie-type aspect to it where they have to try to take care of one of their infected relatives. And what's interesting about this film, I think one thing I really like there, it reminded me of 28 Days Later, it's probably inspired by it, but when somebody gets infected, they start coughing, and the way this parasite works is it makes you like projectile cough blood into somebody else's face, and then they get the parasite. And then it it grows into a worm inside their body. Just one long, thin worm. And it moves around under the neck and stuff. And it's kind of creepy. But honestly, this movie, it kind of, it's just like what we become. It's somewhat thin on the quote-unquote action scenes. It's thin on the horror scenes. And at one point, I mean, it's almost like they saved their budget just for a couple of good creepy scenes and i think they work there's one where you know this this sounds silly to describe it but when you see how the worm uh, because the people once they they totally turn and they're totally infected and they lose their agency and so forth they can't actually see anymore they go blind and there's a scene where you see how the worm is maneuvering this person and it's actually pretty creepy and freaky. <laughs> Another thing I just want to give like little props to, I know a lot of movies do this, but they actually take, they have repurposed some President Barack Obama recordings where he's talking about um, presumably like probably Zika virus or something like that. But they, they've fashioned it to fit in this film and it really gives it an air of legitimacy. It kind of feels real sounds real i I don't know what kind of process josh would that be hard to secure the rights to something like that in your film
1: um well it should be fair use i mean i don't know how that i mean i don't know i mostly work in documentary obviously like in the documentary i wouldn't even think twice about it it's it's totally fair use when you're using it in the context of a for-profit fictional film i don't know what what the law would say about that but i Assume that uh, the president of the United States is public enough a figure that you can probably just get away with reusing that without paying for the rights to anything.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I really was curious about that.
1: You might have a bigger problem with the television source of where you're getting the footage from. So, mm-hmm. if you're using the NBC report, that might be where you
0: come into trouble.
1: You know, if you're if you can identify a camera being used, if it's just audio, you can probably just get
0: away with it. Yeah, these are actually television reports where you see president Obama speaking and they
1: they must have had to license that footage from someone who shot it. I'm guessing.
0: Well, and I'm just wondering this, not that I would do this. I'm just saying (laughs) like, like, I mean, presumably when the president is speaking, there are like a million cameras there, basically from the same area. Couldn't they just remove any identifying, you know, network thing and just use it because they couldn't, you know, the networks couldn't identify whose camera just they used. It depends
1: on how hell bent the owners of that footage are on getting compensated for it. Like, if you remember when Shepard Ferry did his Hope poster, which was probably the most fami- famous image of Obama for him, you know, he had always operated under this idea that he's a graffiti artist and he kind of does what he wants and he doesn't get permission to use the original photographs. Uh, you know, that he makes his art from since he's not actually using their photograph in the image. Well, uh, that whole poster came from a photograph that was a copyrighted image from a photographer and that photographer tried to sue him for it. And, and that, you know, was a big controversy around that. So he was able, he was able to track down based on the direction his head shape, you know, his head was and, and
2: uh
1: you know was able to identify that yes this did come from my photograph even though it could have been any photograph of obama from you know any thousands of photographers but he was able to say nope that was mine
0: that's interesting i i won't do it here but i could spend probably at least 45 minutes talking about that (laughs) That, that very thing right there that you were just discussing but um and I won't go into this political issue, but there was an interesting aspect of this film viral, where I am seriously, very intrigued. I really think um, I don't know if you guys remember about six to eight months ago, um, the incident that happened with the, the man named Lavoy Finicum, where he was driving his blazer and then he was shot, and it was all over the the land stuff. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, I won't go into that, but the imagery of that, I mean, that video was public and a lot of people saw that. There is a scene in this film that mirrors that. I mean, it echoes that and it could be just a coincidence, but it's amazing how similar it was. It brought it to my mind. So, I just wondered if somebody was slipping that in to kind of riff on that. I don't know. It's interesting. But... Anyways, start to wrap up here. Toward the end of the film, um, this film does do, uh, it, it starts to do something very, very intriguing and very brave that I actually can't remember happening in an infected film or even a zombie film before. And I thought, wow, something new that we haven't seen. And um, and then they kind of like chicken out and go back on it. And it's not the case at all. So I, I just think that that's kind of interesting. But anyways, this film does kind of misstep toward the end and the climax because it's like, it was pretty strategic all the way through and then they just bring it to like, it's like, well, it was almost like the screenwriters, the screenwriter was methodically writing out this story and then somebody said, hey, you got to wrap this up. This movie's got to be like an hour and a half. So let's just do a final scene and get on with it. That's really what it feels like. But um, it's decent it's not quite as well done as uh, what we become so I'm going to give this a, a 6.5 out of 10 and I say rent viral. You guys going to check that one out?
2: Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Something is coming. Something hungry for blood. What is it? The uh, Demogorgon! We're deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to go. Later. See you tomorrow. Good night, ladies. Kiss your mom night for me.
0: Will, Will. Will is,
2: is missing. I don't know where he is.
0: 99 out of a hundred times kid goes missing, the kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of a hundred. What about the other time? The one! The one. Well, there is something that's gone viral. <laughs> like or it's like <laughs> it's on that level of popularity, Josh, and I wonder if you would talk to us about Stranger Things.
1: yeah this is going to be part of a new segment that i'll be doing occasionally on this show and will be uh full episodes of movie streamcast that i'm going to be called screaming online
0: i love it which is a riff on streaming online right
1: <laughs> awesome incorrect <laughs> okay <all> Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll do a little Netflix and kill or uh Netflix screaming
0: whatever you want to call which it which is a riff gonna... Netflix okay. and chill. I love okay. this. I can okay. do this all night okay
1: okay <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this awesome music here is from listener Kagan Breitenbach is Kagan. a very talented musician as you can now all hear thanks Kagan so much we're going to be using this here on HMP whenever we do a screaming online series or I will actually do full episodes like I said over at movie streamcasts and this will be the theme music there so thanks again Kagan
0: yeah that adds a lot to the show Kagan and I love that creepy arpeggiated piano and the Halloween synths. Good work, brother. All right, Josh, tell us about your new segment and Stranger Things.
1: We are talking about the most important show on television, which is actually streaming on Netflix, which is called Stranger Things. It is a Netflix original series. Uh, We talked about our uh, thoughts about it from just seeing the trailers and the news a few episodes ago. Jay, you were somewhat hesitant. You thought it looked a little bit too TV-like. I was very excited. A
0: little bit too kitty like A little bit too, yeah.
1: It's too- and now, having seen the entire series, my uh, excitement, I believe, was well-founded, in my, and it remains uh, at, at the height that it did. Now, it is more sci-fi than I typically care for. It would be my only big criticism of the show, and I think... Um, <laughs> The the monsters in the show are not uh, done in a practical way, which I think is a little bit sad due to how faithful the rest of the show is to its roots in late 70s, early 80s cinema. But uh, this is a great show. Basically, you've got these kids – on a on a mission, on a on a journey together, like like in the Lost Boys, like in Goonies, like in E.T., like in It. It's it has a very Stephen King meets Steven Spielberg vibe, which we've we've said before, and it really lives up to those roots. I think I think it pulls it off very successfully. It feels very Stephen King, and um, story wise, and then the look is very. Spielberg. So I think it's a lot of fun. It's got these underdog characters, outsider characters, little kids whose friend disappears and they have to decide if they're going to do something about it. And it goes down a road of telekinesis and alien situations and alternate dimensions and all kinds of great uh, things that you hope for in a film like this. And it has some great adult performances as well from Winona Ryder and David Harbour, but really it's the children here who are just exceptional child actors. Uh, they carry the series and make it as special as, as it is, and I think the directors, uh, these brothers who produced this, are they've done a great job um, in capturing the mood. Uh, the music for me is just incredible. It's, it's the best. Uh, one of my favorite things about it is, is the theme from the show, the opening titles, you know, we've talked about art. The opening titles, just the main title of the show, has the very Stephen King uh, look to it. <laughs> yes, which it is does. So great, and um, and you know, the first episode, I wasn't sure to be honest it starts out with what seems like a very generic monster movie moment. It's the kind of scene you've seen a million times in splice or the West Craven werewolf film cursed. It's just a a dark corridor, someone running in a panic and something scary in an elevator. And I was just like, Oh no, this is what this is. This is going to suck. But it got progressively better and better as the show went on. And, and the series gets better and better by the end of, the eight episodes or whatever they are. Um, I was totally hooked in for this. It's done with so much care. The child actors just add so much believability, which, you know, is a scary thing to have a show based around some children, but they, they all are just exceptional. And I think anybody who grew up on that kind of 80s cinema should be able to enjoy this. And even if you didn't grow up on it, but you can appreciate it. Um, it's a lot of fun there are little references even to totally random stuff. Like I caught this little back to the future Easter egg in it. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed when I realized what it, what it was. But.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's filled with those Josh. I'm so glad to hear you say this. Um, I like your review of this. It's it's um, encouraged me because I did watch the first episode of stranger things and I actually liked it quite a bit. I think it was good, yep. but I was amazed and and kind of disappointed in that first episode at at how much of the mystery I felt like it gave away. I mean, I couldn't believe the, the scenes that you were describing earlier, I couldn't believe that we were shown that kind of stuff, like right in the first episode. And I think maybe that took away a little bit of my intrigue, but it's exciting to hear that it actually builds from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a story where, it's not a huge mystery necessarily what's going on. Uh, the joy in it is seeing how the show gets where it gets and it's really creatively done. I mean, just, just some beautiful, beautiful shots and really cool thematic ideas, really cool just um, movie moments that happen in it. They, they make such great use of Christmas lights in this movie um, I love it so much, and and you know it's just it's got such iconic shots of kids riding their BMX bikes around with the lights on, just straight out of ET, straight out of the Goonies. <laughs> it's it's so it's so good, but it's not just it's not just a cheap copy. It doesn't just rely on making you say, "Oh, I remember," like, "Oh, that's what this is from." It's not like a, it's not a parody in any way. It gets down to the DNA of what those shows were about, which was about childhood family, uh, hope, uh, an approach to life that's kind of in, you're in awe. I'm sorry. I'm being very inarticulate, but just um, the, uh, the sense of childhood wonder. Mm -hmm. And it gets at all of those things in a really terrific way. And it gets scarier and scarier as it goes as well. I think Um, it's redemptive and hopeful. And I I just really enjoyed stranger things. And, and they have not at the time of our recording yet announced, officially announced season two, But I know the writers have already been all over the place talking about, like, what characters are coming back, what the storylines are going to be like. So um, the plans are in the works, but Netflix has not yet released um, a date or or even said that it's going to happen. But I can't imagine with the amount of buzz that it's getting that season two of this thing isn't happening. So
0: Wolfman, Josh, so what a like I, I know it's TV 14 But like, you know, as a parent, like what age of kids would you kind of recommend this for?
1: So I've tried to show this to my kids and they have seen movies like uh, The Monster Squad and Lost Boys even, which is an R-rated film. Wow. (laughs) But they couldn't handle this. So it was a little too scary for them. And we, I ended up, I wanted the, the first episode was a little bit too much. So I decided I was going to watch ahead and I just decided, yeah, this is too much. I'm not showing it to them. So, okay. Um, my my kids have not seen this yet, but I think you know some kids are more desensitized than mine. Right. I think I think this TV 14 seems appropriate. I think if you had like a 10 year old, they could probably safely watch this and be um, excited and scared about it. There. You know, the racy stuff is actually probably more problematic for parents um, because, you know, you've got like teen sex and a bunch of that kind of stuff going on. So, I mean, that's that's probably why it would get a PG-13 rating um, more than anything related to the, the scares. Although the scares are good when they happen, they are a little too CGI for me.
0: Yeah, well, you, but you did say it does travel more into the horror realm the later it goes into the eight-part series, right? It
1: gets scarier and scarier, is my contention. It still remains heavily based in sci-fi, but it, you know, but it is also um, horror as well.
0: Yeah, it was hilarious to hear you say the space wolf <laughs> himself to say it's a little too much sci-fi for me, or it's like yeah. more than I like because you're you know, you're a host on the sci-fi <laughs> podcast, so that's really funny.
1: Well, I was the producer of that podcast initially. Um because, you know, they needed to get going. But I was never intended I never had intended to be a regular host on that show precisely because I'm not a big sci-fi guy.
0: Oh, okay, okay. But
1: I, I, I like the sci-fi movies I like, but I don't like the majority of it. And that's kind of how those guys are about horror. They really like some horror stuff, but they don't like the majority of it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of that's you know, kind of kind of the mirror image of them when it comes to Wow, that's so amazing. Horror and science fiction.
0: Okay, cool. So what do you rate Stranger Things? I mean, it sounds like you're considering this as like season one, eight episodes. Would you consider it like one big, like eight hour film?
1: Oh, that's totally what it is. It's absolutely constructed like a giant film, which I love. Um, You know, I was just looking at the critics ratings on this. It has a 94% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and a 96% from the audience I could come in that high, I think like uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I can see myself giving this a nine out of 10. It, it, it the CGI stuff does bother me. And I, I know there are some of our listeners who are pulling their hair out that I complain about that every time, but <laughs> the rest of the world is so uh, tactile that I hate that that element just feels a little bit rubbery and unreal. Um, right, It's a problem for me. It remains a problem for me. So I'm going to go ahead and give Stranger Things an 8.5 out of 10 at this point, season one of Stranger Things. And I'm very hopeful for a
0: season two. All right. So do you tell people to stream this on Netflix, obviously? Yeah.
1: I mean, you have to have Netflix to see this one, but it's a stream it right away if you haven't yet. And I'm telling you guys, if you like any of that stuff that I've talked about, and then I know you, Jay, you're not as big a guy. on like a Goonies per se, Mm Mm-hmm. But I know you can appreciate Stephen King.
0: Yes. yes. And I
1: I think if you think of this as a Stephen King movie, you'll enjoy it. I mean, I would even say, you know, we had talked about this having kind of a Twilight Zone meets... um, Amazing
0: amazing stories. (laughs)
1: Amazing stories. Like, this is in that world but it's it's grittier than amazing stories so
0: it feels uh, like from the first episode that i saw it it felt very super eight to me
1: oh totally yeah like that like super eight is probably the closest thing that exists to to this Mm -hmm. if you had to pick something and say give me a modern film that you know homages spielberg but has a CGI monster. Like that's exactly what this is. It, it feels like it's in the exact same world. I got you. Cause I,
0: yeah, I really enjoyed super eight JJ Abrams. that was great. Good stuff.
1: I, I prefer this to super eight. I oh mean, really? I okay. I mean, super Eight's strong. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think the, I think the monster element is the weakest element of that. And, um, I just think because it's a television show, because it has eight hours to tell the story, you just get deeper with these characters,
0: Um, excellent. So,
2: yeah.
0: Okay. So stranger things, Josh says season one is an 8.5 out of 10. He says stream it right now on Netflix. Dave, you going to do it? You got Netflix. You going to do this?
2: Sure.
3: Absolutely. (laughs) I say it every time and I never, ever get to any of these things, but why not? Okay. It does sound good though. It does. And I'm a, I'm a super eight fan also. I like, I like super eight as well. So it does sound very intriguing. Mm. hmm Watch it with the kids? That was something that they would enjoy? I, w- I mean, I don't know your kids, but. <laughs> no, they, they, they're older. They're older, so they could think. probably handle it. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, do it. That sounds great. Well, All thanks. Right. Thanks for covering Stranger Things on here, Wolfman Josh. And now we're going to move into uh, Dr. Shock's unfortunately titled film from
3: 1973. Yes. Okay. The um, movie I will be talking about is from 1972. It's called. The ass fix. Uh and no, this is not one of the movies that uh, Stephen Jeffries made after playing Evil Ed in uh, the original Friday. Oh Night. wow! Oh. It is a 1972 film uh, from England, um, starring Robert Powell and, and Robert Stevens. and it's it's a very it it, it has a really fascinating premise. Um, uh, there's, there's this amateur photographer, and it's, it's set you know, sometime in the past, and uh, you have this amateur photographer, uh, Sir Hugo, and um, he's, he's getting remarried, um, you know, and he has uh, two adult children and one sort of adopted son. Um, his, his adult children are Clive and Christina, and he's sort of taken this, this young man named Giles in, uh, who was an orphan and um, Giles and Christine are actually in love with each other. And, and Sir Hugo is, is remarrying to a woman, you know, much younger than he is. But he, see, things seem to be going well for him. Well, along with, um, you know, his, his private life, he is also a uh, uh, sort of part-time paranormal researcher. And what he's done um, is he's made something that he thinks is a, is a pretty amazing discovery. And, and he's, they have a scene where he's showing these photographs he had taken of terminally ill patients, sort of um, right at the moment of death. And just as they're about to die, every picture has a dark smudge on it that he thinks is the soul leaving the body at the moment of, uh, of death. But then he gets a motion picture camera. And during two separate incidents, one of which is a family tragedy, he realizes that what he's actually getting isn't the soul at all, but this entity that the Greeks have called the Asphix, which is a creature that is sent to collect the spirit of the dead and transport it to the afterlife. Well, what, uh, during the second um, uh, time he realizes this, what finally makes him realize this is he has this sort of uh, ultraviolet light. And he's been asked by this, um, this social group to put a film together of a public execution. This group is trying to stop public executions, and they think... Um, an actual film showing it, you know, to show people just how awful it is would, would benefit. Well, when he throws on this ultraviolet light, um, you know, to start the recording, he captures the asphyx in it, this creature. It cannot escape this light. So as the man is hanging there, he's still alive because the asphyx cannot capture, cannot take his soul out of his body. And it's not until he turns the light off that the man finally dies. Creepy. Yeah, it is. It, it is creepy. So he gets an idea. Well, what if I were to trap and, and incl- you know, encase sort of uh, one of these things? So he does it with a guinea pig. It turns out every creature, every so, living creature has one of these things.
0: So Dave, he said, yeah. I'm going to take the ass fix. And I know how to fix his ass. <laughs> like, there you
3: go. That's what he said. Yeah. Not, not, not in so many words. Just but. kidding. Sorry. With a guinea pig. <laughs> With a guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what he does is he. Richard Gear esque sort of,
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was wrong. That was not nice. Josh, that
2: was not nice.
3: <laughs> um, he, he does manage to, it's almost like a Ghostbusters type scene where they they have to sort of move this light over to another case with another light in it to finally trap this thing. But they trap it, and it seems as if now the guinea pig can't be killed. Um, so, of course, he starts thinking, well, it would be kind of nice. Maybe I could get my family together and we can live forever. We can, we can, you know, we'll, we'll bring ourselves to the point of death, you know, capture this creature before it can take us, put it in a box, lock the box away so it can't get out, and then we'll live forever
0: mm, sounds risky
3: <laughs> it's risky and as he finds out um, it definitely has its its downsides um, on, a, on a horror note the movie probably it would be it's not going to be as strong a horror movie um, as you would think the creature itself it's 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 a puppet it's almost like a like a I would say like a Jim Henson creation <laughs> um, the actual creature but what it does is when it's caught in this light it lets off a shriek that is pretty chilling i'd say the sound is worse than the creature itself because when it's captured because what they do is they actually do this test with a man who is terminally ill and they capture the asphyx as it's about to go and take him but this guy is in such agonizing pain that he wants this thing to you know come so he actually you know arranges so that it gets loose um because one of the things that happens is, is yes, you, you, you might live forever, but it's not like, well, I don't want to get too deep into it. I don't want to get into spoilers.
2: Damn.
3: But anyway, um, so horror-wise, it I wouldn't say it's, a, it's, it's, it's as, as strong of a horror movie as it is one that, I mean, it is a horror movie. Don't get me wrong. It definitely fits in the genre. But what, what I really liked about it were just the questions that it raises and, and the way it handles them. You know, like you have in your grasp the means of living forever is it worth it is it something that that should be toyed with um, and what exactly goes along with living forever uh, and it's it's just a very a very engaging film it really is just from start to finish um, you know watching watching all of this play out uh, and you really do get I really got into it I mean I, I really got into it and I was I, I really wanted to see where it would go. It's like one of those movies that you don't really want to end because you're so into it. You're so into the story and you're so into just everything that's happening um, that you just want to, you just want to kind of see it explored even in a few other areas that the filmmakers didn't, didn't necessarily think of. Mm -hmm. Um, I would give this one, like I said, I mean, uh, bring it down a little just from the horror aspect, but I would give it a solid 7.5. Wow. I'd say it's definitely worth the rental, definitely worth checking out.
0: Okay. And um, yeah, it sounds like a a riff on the Grim Reaper, kind of, and says so seven point five out of ten. Yes, yeah, I'd say seven point five, yes. All right. And Doc says rent the aspects from nineteen seventy two. Right. That's hilarious. Okay, and Josh, you're gonna be talking to us about a film formerly known as Kitchen Sink, right?
1: That's correct. Uh you know, you had Expressed some interest in this back when it was called Kitchen Sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was eventually released as Freaks of Nature. And, you know, Jay, I had not probably been to 7 Eleven in a decade wow. until this summer, but my, my kids were really into Shark Week this year, as we talked about on a previous show. Mm-hmm. And they kept wanting to go get these shark Slurpees at 7 Eleven. So we, they would have their swimming lessons. And then on the way home would stop at 7-Eleven and get like shark donuts and shark slurpees and all this stuff. Yes. And so I got into this habit of going to 7-Eleven and getting, you know, uh, a drink. And their Big Gulps, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but right now where, where I'm at, the Big Gulps have a free Redbox rental on every cup.
2: <laughs> mm. So
1: I'm like, man, I'm getting this drink for like 99 cents. Plus I get a free Redbox rental. I'm going to stop here every day. Yeah. And so I've been re- getting a lot of Redbox movies, which again is something I never have really done. I know you're a Redbox fan. Um, I think I was conditioned working at a video yeah. store that Redbox was the devil and they were going to put movie uh, rental stores out of business. Little did we know that the digital age would change everything.
0: Yeah. Well, to clarify, I, I, I thought Redbox <laughs> was fun, but I didn't like any of the movies they had there. But <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> well, lately I've been getting a lot of their horror movies and I, they're, I think the quality has gone up a bit in the last few years. You know, I think they're getting more. You know, I don't. I don't want to say the mainstream movies are better, but I think they they are stronger titles than they they used to have in their horror offerings previously. Maybe
0: someone at Redbox listens to horror movie podcasts.
1: And you so he was tired of you saying that a crappy movie is a Redbox rental.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. <laughs>
1: So we've seen a lot of these types of movies recently. Um, I'm going to talk about another one a little bit later, "Scouts Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse." But they're just these really overtly comedic horror films, and they're f- comedic to the point of just being totally ridiculous and goofy. And I just feel like there there are a ton of these right now. Now, there's like you know there are good ones as well, and what I would say like a high water mark for this might be something like "The Final Girls."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: or, you know, Krampus is a, is a pretty decent movie. Uh, Deathgasm is a, is a pretty good movie we're going to be talking about in the future. But on the other end of the scale, you have things like Cooties and Vampu and Bloodsucking Bastards. And, and it's just kind of in that realm of just totally ridiculous horror comedies. I don't feel like there's a lot of respect necessarily given to the monsters in these films. They're more about the laughs. And they do have some kind of gonzo, you know, gore and horror moments to them. But I don't know. It's just a new breed of movie. I don't know. We'll have to dissect this more at some point. I haven't really given it much thought, to be honest. But I have noticed, like, oh, this is a thing that they do now. This is, like, the modern horror comedy. And it's not – to me, the quality level is not as high as some of the other horror comedies that we talked about on that episode, for instance, when we talked about – like the Burbs or Tremors, to me this is—it's a lower form of comedy, and a lower form of horror as well.
0: You so, could call it a sub-comedy horror tribute.
1: <laughs> maybe so. I don't know what it is. It's weird because it's not as obviously as like intendedly schlocky as something like Trauma, but it's playing in those waters, but with these really high production values. Is it?
0: Know. Yeah, I I I know what you mean by the high production values because. Because it's definitely a step up from something like Zombievers, for example.
1: Well, although that is a perfect example of a movie that's in that world, this just looks like a much more expensive movie than Zombievers.
0: Yeah.
2: But
1: the comedy and horror level is pretty similar. you know. So, in the world of Freaks of Nature, uh, just to give a premise now that I've talked about it for 15 minutes, um, you've got a world where vampires and zombies and humans. Are all living together in peace? Uh, they go to, they attend high school together. They hang out, but there are obviously tensions between the groups. Um, and so you you set up kind of a really extreme fantasy world where these things are all happening. And so the, and the threat level is relatively small from zombies and vampires. Vampires lose their cool sometimes and and bite someone on the neck. A zombie might. Um, you know, get off their leash and, and bite somebody accidentally. But for the most part, these are like all kids attending high school together. And then they must all come together when aliens attack earth. Right. And so the alien attack is this unifying and dividing element for the people in this community of the town of Dilford. And they, it definitely drives some people apart. It brings others closer together. And our three main characters, this is interesting. I hadn't realized this till just now. Our three main characters were all human at the beginning of the movie. But one becomes a vampire and one becomes a zombie. And so although we have a a human, a vampire, and a zombie working together in this film, really they all started out human. I think it may have been a higher degree of difficulty to make this more interesting dramatically had... They come actually from diverse backgrounds. Um,
0: Well, what you're describing here, it almost sounds like the film was trying to be a commentary on racism in America and where you have the different groups. And then they feel, in some cases, a little more unified when the alien threat comes and that represents something like you know, terrorism or Islamic extremism or something like that. Is it? Is it that deep? Does it try to touch on that? Is it riffing? Not at all. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think I,
1: that could very well be in the DNA of the film. Um, okay. The film is not high-minded enough that it spends time with those ideas. Okay. Um, It's not... It has no depth. That's my big problem with this movie because it looks great. It's... It's although... It, As a horror concept, it's not really in the world that I like to play normally. I'm just more interested in, um, I guess, respecting these monsters and subgenres. I feel like this is uh, more parodic in nature. So that is kind of my jam, usually, where parody is kind of playing a big role. But um, it's good for what it is. It just doesn't ever dig very deep. It's, it's, It's a film that doesn't have really strong underpinnings of theme and character that I, you know, I think it could be a much better movie if it dug deeper into those and end if it dug deeper in the horror it's, but it is um, for kind of a surface level film. It does what it does in an entertaining way, I guess. Okay. So we have got Nicholas Braun is our main character and um, his name's Dag and, He people would recognize him in the horror world, probably from Red State. He's one of our main kids in Red State. Um, Mackenzie Davis is our our lead female, and she is really good and kind of stunning. And she she will be appearing in the new Blade Runner movie. So I'm really curious to see um, what role she plays. But then it's got a lot of comedians in it. It's got Dennis Leary. It's got Keegan-Michael Key. It's got Joan Cusack, Bob Odenkirk. Pat Oswalt and all these guys are uh, in the film. Pat Healy is in it as a zombie priest. So it's, it's got a really strong cast and just a crazy concept. And it's got a very glossy sheen to it. Um, but for me, it just lacks emotional depth. And so for me, this is probably a 5.5. Okay. And I would go ahead and say it, it could be a rental. If, if you have that red box rental on your free Big gulp, this is
0: you cannot go wrong with Freaks of Nature. <laughs> oh, well done. Okay. Yeah, you know, I would have guessed at 5.5 on that when I saw, you know, from what I've seen of it, it just has that that sheen where it's like, hmm. Kind of like it's that.
1: got it's got cool poster art. Uh it's got some really strong moments, but it is just I can't even think of like an older It's almost like Teen Wolf in terms of like the level of the comedy and horror, but just with a more modern approach to the monsters and stuff. It just doesn't have, you know, a, the bite or depth that you want. That I wanted, I guess.
0: I got you. Okay. Well, that's um, Josh's thoughts on Freaks of Nature. And you know what? Speaking of Freaks of Nature, right, Doctor Shock? Absolutely. Yep. You, you have a freak of nature to talk I about for us. I have a
3: freak of nature to talk about as well. I had rewatched this film uh, for the first time in its, its entirety since 1983 when it came out. And its movie is Jaws 3. Uh,
0: <laughs> the SeaWorld infomercial.
3: The SeaWorld infomercial, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, I this It was an interesting time because uh, my brother, myself, and, and our friends... Uh, a little bit earlier you know a few months a few months earlier might, might, maybe a little more than a few months I can't remember exactly what came out we had gone to see our first 3d movie in the theater which was Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone
2: and <laughs> nice.
3: The first five minutes were great. I mean I was like, wow look that spaceship coming out of the screen it's about to land on that old lady's head you know things like that. But by halfway through the movie, we all had the glasses off and rubbing our eyes because we had massive headaches from these old, um, you know, the old uh, sort of blue and red glasses Yes, um, that you get with uh, with those old 3D films. So it was not a good experience, you know, because you're watching the rest of the movie blurry. If you didn't have those glasses on, you can't see anything. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing it's still along the same lines today. I'm not 100% sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I've tried taking them off during okay. modern 3D. Right. And yeah, it's the same.
3: So we decided, okay, but, but it was this was Jaws 3. You know, and I had good experience. I had seen Jaws 2. Jaws 2 was the first of the Jaws movies I had seen. I had seen it in a drive-in. Um, uh, on a, And it was a double bill with that and Roller Coaster. Uh so I had seen Wrong. I had seen Jaws 2. Um and of course by that point had, Jaws is a classic, you know, one of the best movies ever made. Um Jaws 2 is not, but it still had its moments and stayed with me because, you know, like I said, the, the whole experience of seeing it in a drive-in and some some portions of it just, you know, kind of um well, stuck with me because I was what 9 years old, 8 years old at the time that I saw it. But anyway, so we're going to go. We decided, let's give 3D one more chance. Let's go see, because it's this was a 3D movie. And it's funny, because as much as I remember the other two Jaws, I remembered hardly anything about this film. After seeing it in the theater with 3D, coming out of it then, I knew it was not something that impressed me. Um, and watching it again now, I remembered what it was about the movie that didn't impress me. Um, but anyway... Uh, so anyway, it was almost as if I was seeing it fresh because I just did not remember anything about this movie. Uh, it's set up that, um, you know, the, the, the uh, Chief Brody's sons are now grown up. We have Mike, who's played by Dennis Quaid, and he's just an engineer for SeaWorld. It's like this oceanic amusement park um, owned by Calvin Bouchard, which is played by Louis Gossett Jr., um, and Mike is dating um, a biologist named Kay, uh, Bess Armstrong. Uh, and his younger, younger brother, Sean, flies in. Sean's played by an actor named John Putsch, I guess is how it's pronounced. Uh, he's in college, and he flies in to visit Mike and Kay just as the park is, is getting ready to open for the first time. And uh, when he first arrives in town, it's very interesting because he meets a young lady named Kelly Ann who is actually played by Leah Thompson. And this is, this is her screen debut a few years before back to the future. Um, and she's this, she's a, uh, sort of water skier. She's part of this acrobatic group and they strike up, uh, yeah, they strike up a relationship, but, um, the whole thing is that the park's about to open and, and Calvin Bouchard has a special guest in there, uh, big game hunter, Philip Fitzroyce played by Simon McCorkendale. And then he comes in with his valet and, They're the special guests that are going to be on hand for the the park's grand opening. But there's another guest that's also turned up, a great white shark. And we get some of the, you know, the the, the 3D of this movie is is what really gets me. Like, um, from what I found out, they they didn't put a whole lot in it at first, and the studio forced them to go back and do reshoots, where the camera's panning and then it just stops on like a piece of coral, like (laughs) sort of floating out, and then they lose in on that. Or 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 uh, uh, just like a, a, a branch on a tree or something, just utterly ridiculous. Where the camera stops there for no reason other than hey, let's get this poking out at people. Um, and the movie is filled with that. I mean, just uh, to watch it without the three D, it's laughable.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's silly laughable
3: with with the three D. It's laughable, but to watch it without the three D, it's just really just silly as anything. Um. And, of course, one of the first things we get is a severed arm floating up at the screen. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, so that so that, you know, that's it. But overall, though, I got to say, looking at it, it didn't, I, I didn't think it was completely awful. I did like the setup and the story. You no, know, I liked that it took place in this amusement park. It was almost like like Piranha in a way. You know, if you go back right. to Piranha, that, that movie took place in a similar Setting, um, and I didn't dislike the characters. You know, it's because they, 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 they're fairly strong performers playing them. You had Quaid and Armstrong, um, and of course you have Louis Gossett Jr. playing the one character who's going to make every decision on money. You guys, it's not a Jaws movie unless you have a character that's going <laughs> to base every decision on money. Right. Um, and that's him. Uh, you know, so so it, there were things about it that I thought could have gone well. Um but it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And, 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 uh, the 3d, yes, is part of it, but there's also the director just, can't, I don't know what it is. Is it never has, it's there's just never a rhythm to it. The scenes that are like supposed to be very tense, just, they're, they're just sort of there and you never feel really drawn into any of the tension or anything. And it also has a, a finale, like the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie are Ridiculous beyond words. I mean, the things that happened in the last 15 minutes of this film are asinine, uh, is, is really the only <laughs> adjective I can come up with. It's just absolutely right. stupid, stupid stuff that, that this yeah. movie ends with. Um, but it's we hard on this movie. But
0: no, no, but, no, no, he's not. He's being b- pretty accurate. But Doc, you got to tell the listeners the fourth film, the one after this. Um, well, Jaws 3 is, looks like Citizen Kane.
3: Well, this is the thing, though. <laughs> now uh, This is full full confession time here. Jaws 3 ruined me on the series. I have never watched Jaws for the Revenge.
0: You can't believe how bad I, and, and how reason, painful Jaws the Revenge and is. And another
3: reason I never saw Jaws the Revenge was why I happened to see the Cisco Niebert review of it, um, where they just... Absolutely, lambasted it, and I said, "You know what? Jaws three was bad enough for me. Thank you very much. I don't think I need to su- subject myself to Jaws the Revenge."
1: I'm going to be honest; I have not revisited this as an adult with a with a brain, but I watched this all the time as a kid, and I loved this movie. <laughs> I, really, this was one of those cable movies when I was a kid that was like it was on I don't know USA or Stars or Encore or something like that, like on repeat, like. Mm-hmm. I, Predator was one of those movies too. Like this was just always on, and I would just watch it every time I saw it. And I, I loved it. I was obsessed with SeaWorld as a kid. I grew up in San Diego for uh-huh. a big portion of my childhood, and we'd go on, you know, we went on our field trips to, to SeaWorld. And this is when SeaWorld (laughs) was still a viable business. Now that they're they're going out of business, yeah,
2: this,
1: (laughs) this is an artifact in some ways of a time when people thought of SeaWorld and said there was a smile on their face. They were were happy about SeaWorld back then as like leaders in the uh, protecting animals world. But uh, I loved, I love Jaws 3 now. I, now, again, I say that with no – having not laid eyes on it with a mind for looking at cinema in a serious way or even really remembering any major plot points other than they have a tube that goes underwater. That was cool. <laughs> so, one, oh, yeah,
3: that tube underwater. That was a yeah, a, a fairly – yeah, that was a and decent idea. Was the
1: helicopter stuff – is that what you're talking about in the finale? No, that
3: was the actually the ending of Jaws 2. Oh, okay. So the, I didn't the think helicopter this is – this, this is – this has to do with. Uh, I don't want to get into spoilers. Okay. I don't want to get. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Uh, but yeah,
0: don't spoil this movie. That's. Hey, I'm,
2: I'm going to watch <laughs> it. So I'm That's serious. Not- I'm um, going to watch this. Well,
0: here's the thing, okay. Josh. What you were saying is dead on about it playing on like USA and whatever. But and, and uh-huh. in fact, it's still playing on TV. Just this is a weird coincidence. Just, I think it was today or yesterday, my mom, my Necromomacon, told me that Jaws 3 was on TV, and she watched it. And she's like, that's a terrible movie. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know.
3: Yeah, it's, it's not uh, – it, like I said, it, for me, it was the end of the series. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty much done with, with Jaws. Now, interestingly enough, Roy Scheider felt the same way. He took the role in Blue Thunder specifically so he would be unavailable for Jaws 3. (laughs) That was the main reason he he went in Blue Thunder. But he had already said, he already told them, you know, nothing could get me to do another Jaws movie. When he was doing Jaws 2, I was reading up on that a little bit as well. He did everything he could to get fired from Jaws 2. He did not want to be in Jaws 2.
0: Well, maybe it's because Jaws 2 is an exact retread. Of Jaws 1. Well, exactly. And <laughs> it's one, of the the, same movie.
3: one of the things I think that's interesting that, that uh, Ebert brought this up in his review of Jaws Revenge. All of the sharks, you know, th- something happens to all of the sharks at the end of all of the first few movies. So, when you get to the revenge, what is this shark, like, Iber put in his review, of course the shark would want revenge against the people who killed it. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- who is this shark getting revenge? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it, well, yeah. it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, well, for the revenge part. Sharks, just having a shark, you know, as, as a monster, I think works well. Mm-hmm. You know, because... They are, yeah, you know, they are beastly they freaks. That, exactly, yeah, they yes. have that reputation of, you know,
2: right,
3: um, of of being man eaters. Um, and I even kind of liked the little twist that they had towards the end with this one, where you think everything's going okay, and then all of a sudden there's this other thing. I even kind of liked that, but but seriously, once once it gets to the end of this, it's just like whoa. <laughs> you know I, and I, I had forgotten the ending of it <laughs> i had forgotten the whole damn movie I'll be, i had forgotten everything about it so i didn't go back and watch it again but um and it's interesting this was this was a, this was a cable movie because i've had plenty of those where you just sit there and you watch them over and over and over and over and over again this was not one of those for me this was like a one time in theater and then okay i'm done and i think i remember playing on cable i just never went back and Revisit. I was kind of surprised though to see Leah Thompson and the cast. It's always funny when you go mm. back and see these movies that you saw years earlier, yeah. and realize the people that are in them that you just never put it together. You right. never like, never put yeah. together that Leah Thompson made her screen debut in this movie. Yeah, interesting. But as far as a rating, I'd give it. I'd still. I'd give it a four. I'd still say it's a void. Now <laughs> I should give it three point five because four might be closer to a rental. Three point five and it's in a void.
0: <laughs> well, okay, let me just tell you. Jaws the Revenge. This is the premise. I'm not making this up. Basically a, a shark, a jaws shark follows the wife, <laughs> the Brody's wife to her new residence where she lives. You know, it it like swims all the way down the coast, you know, of of the North American continent. And then um, starts, like, stalking and pursuing her family members there. It's, it's, yeah, it's that <laughs> painful. I mean, it's ridiculous.
3: <laughs> I, the only thing I, re- I, I recall, and it's from, this is, again, from their review, is to see where Mike, Mike, Michael Caine comes out of the water completely dry.
0: <laughs> yes. It's a really bad movie. Really bad. But wow. Anyways. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, taking one for the team for some reason. Right. And well, uh, I I just I wanted to I
3: wanted to see it. I wanted to, I wanted to see it again you know I, I I thought it'd been a long time and hey maybe it wasn't as as bad as I was because I'll tell you what when I revisited Space Hunter which was another movie that I thought was just terrible and in a way it kind of is but when you watch it without the 3D it sort of works as an 80s sci-fi fantasy a little bit better than it did the first time i saw it with the miserable 3d conditions sure, sure. you know it, it it was not it it was not as bad as i remembered and i thought maybe jaws 3 might might be the same but
1: no
0: understandable mistake and now yeah. you've paid for your right mistake. yes i yes yeah. i have
1: you also just made our jaws franchise review get pushed back by a long way <laughs>
0: yeah, a long way that's right Okay, Josh, and and now you're going to follow up with a very similar film, right? A similar kind of film. It's in that sub-comedy horror tribute that you want to talk to the listeners about now.
1: Yeah, this is a film called Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, a 2015 film that I had missed as well, and I'm just getting around to, uh, thanks to Big Gulps and Red (laughs) Bucks. And it's just very similar to Freaks of Nature. You know, it's, um, I, I, looking at this film specifically, I think I can say it's trying to be super bad, but with zombies essentially like that. It's it's like that kind of movie, you know, that's, and they add this boy scout element that I feel like is pretty underdeveloped. The ways in which it's used many times in the movie is so ridiculous Um, I like the look of it. I like the look of Boy Scouts dressed up and using their scouting skills to fight the undead. But they're not done in kind of the most sophisticated way. You know, I I was talking to Dave about this before the show. Uh, Jay, you and I, at least, Dave, you can tell me if you are too, are big premise guys. We like movies that have like a really great premise.
0: Absolutely. Love it.
1: And I was—I've been doing a lot of screenwriting lately and studying screenwriting. And one of the things that I came across from from some screenwriters, now, funnily enough, I'm not huge fans of their work. Uh, they're the guys that, like, one of the guys writes, for instance, um, a lot of Tim Burton's lesser films. But they had some great insights about the idea of premise. They were talking about how you want to make a movie that only your film can do. You want to do something that can uh, have a scene that can only take place in your film. And what that means is that you've created a circumstance and characters that, and um, they kind of create your premise. And if you utilize them well and utilize your premise, well, you will create original scenes, no matter how unoriginal even if it's a zombie movie, by putting Boy Scouts into a zombie apocalypse, you've now created the possibility for all of these new original scenes we've never seen before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm sorry. Well, again, I'm not very articulate tonight. I'm having a hard time. But the idea is, is that to like really capitalize on a premise, you're finding things that only you can do within the world and characters you've given yourself. And so I just think there's so much potential for a Boy Scouts versus zombies movie – you could actually could be something really cool, uh, but they don't go that direction necessarily. I but mean,
0: I bet Josh. The reason they had to kind of shy away from those angles is they probably had to really be careful to tiptoe around the copyright issues, right? Because they're not blatantly scouts. They're not like Boy Scouts of America in this, right? But we get right, the point that that's what they've they are.
1: come up with their own, you know, name of you know their scouting organization. But their uniforms are almost identical to the Boy Scouts of America uniforms and they're having similar types of conversations, but it's just not authentic to what scouting is. And I say that as an Eagle Scout myself, (laughs)
0: Ooh, Eagle Scout.
1: (laughs) Not that that matters,
0: but no, it matters. That's hard to do. That's hard. No,
1: no, I'm not saying that I'm saying not that it matters that it's not uh, loyal to what scouting is all about, but it's just like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, have the smell of authenticity, first of all, for me. Okay. But then secondly, they, again, they don't just don't utilize the concept. Well, like they're in are moments, they try, but there are so many things you could do without naming the boy scouts of America as an organization to give these kids survival skills that they would have acquired during all of their years, uh, you know, earning these merit badges. That would be a fun idea. You could have some really hilarious, totally unique scenes. Um, and I, I don't know, I just don't, I don't see as much of that in this movie. There are some really disgusting and funny gross-out scenes, but
2: <laughs>
1: not the stuff that, that we're talking about. So anyway, it's decent. I, you know, I feel like it's better than Fre- Freaks of Nature for my money. It's the film I prefer of the two, not that they necessarily need to be compared. But I know a lot of our listeners liked Cooties more than I did. So if you like a film like Cooties... I can totally see you liking Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. I don't think that one is elevated in any way compared to this one. I think they're very similar uh, styles of comedy, and their um, dedication to the horror genre is <laughs> in a similar place. This one actually has more horror than cooties, uh, I would say, in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. a lot, but it's just very fake, kind of cheesy horror stuff in this movie.
0: I got gotcha. you as well. Okay
1: there's a pretty great cast here as well. You have an appearance from Cloris Leachman, although it's not you know, huge. She's in it. Uh, David Keckner's in this one. Sarah Dumont does a really good job. Logan Miller and Joey Morgan are two young actors who I thought were really good. And I'd like to see them in more stuff. And then your main actor here is Ty Sheridan. Excellent. Who is probably the greatest child actor of his generation. Mm-hmm. By the time he's in this movie, he looks like he's 16, 17, 18. So, We're now past that time in his life where it's going to matter. He's just going to blend into a sea of
0: yeah of
1: other brilliant, you know, other good actors of his kind. But
0: people got to see him in Joe and Mud, right? He
1: was in my three favorite. Well, not my. I don't know. I don't have to look back at my movie podcast weekly ratings. Mm -hmm. But um, three years in a row, he was in one of my favorite films of the year. He was in Terrence Malick's Tree of Life in two thousand eleven. He was in Jeff Nichols' Mud in 2012, and he was in David Gordon Green's Joe in 2013. Yes. And each of those was one of my favorite movies that year. And he is just incredible in all of those movies. He's just like, what? This kid is so good. He brings it. He was better than Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense. I mean, he's just like, he's just one of the great child actors. And so. Agreed. It's kind of sad that that's over for him now. He's just going to have to be competing with a million other People because he, you know, he's not, he has just kind of a plain face. He doesn't, he's not, has, doesn't have a striking look or anything. And so I'm a little bit sad that that's gone, but, um, but yeah, he's good in this. He's, he's definitely passable and, uh, he works, he does what he can with the material he's given.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: yeah, if, if Super Bad with Zombies, or it, it's even like, it's got some Fairly Brothers, even S comedy yeah. about, um, <laughs> if that sounds doable to you in the cooties, freaks of nature, you know, blood sucking, f- bastards, vamp you world, like you might like this. I would give this one a six out of ten and call it a uh, another rental if you've got this kind of uh, good red box deal <laughs> going on like I did. <laughs> it was definitely worth free.
0: Okay, gotcha. <laughs> nice. And I see it's on... Um... If, if you're really into this concept, it's streaming on Amazon Video for $7.99.
1: <laughs> I would not recommend streaming this for $7.99. Yeah. But but pick it up at Redbox. Even if you don't get it for free, it's probably worth the sixty for the DVD or whatever it is. So.
0: Okay. You got it. All right. So that's Josh's review of Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. And, uh, you know, speaking of survival in survival situations there is a trailer that we are all very excited about a film coming up that stars stephen lang whom i love it's called don't breathe
2: your lips look sore
1: that's how you're making your cash out there (laughs) what do you
2: say you and i move away from mom together
0: it's a promise you're leaving
2: yeah as soon as i have the money
0: when are you coming back never Yo, I got our ticket out of here. Rumor is, this guy is sitting on at least 300K. Boom! That's her guy.
2: Wait, is he blind?
0: We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's
2: blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Guys, money's probably in there.
0: who's there stay right there
2: how many of you are there <laughs> man <all right? laughs> Just let me go please. Okay, I swear to God.
0: guys the first thing i just want to say about this like we're we're premise guys we were just talking about that fact of how much we love the premise of movies. But basically, I mean, the premise is you get this group of friends who try to break into the house of this um, blind man. They plan to steal from him. I guess he's wealthy or something. Uh, except the problem is the blind man is Stephen Lang. And if you remember him from <laughs> Avatar, um, in Avatar, he was Colonel Miles Korich, uh, who's a badass basically, and he is lethal. And so, He's not that same character, obviously, in this film. But uh, he's just as lethal in this movie. And this thing looks good. Scheduled for release August 26th. I am there in the theater. What about you guys?
1: Absolutely.
0: I am yeah, so this,
3: on board. This look, the, the the trailer, it looks excellent. You know, and you're right. As a premise, it's, it's a great setup. Mm-hmm.
1: Blair Witch is my most anticipated horror movie that Round we have left two. this year. Yeah just because of what it is and who the director is. But if I was but judging it just on the trailer, uh, Don't Breathe would be my number one anticipated horror movie of the year. I mean, it's close. It's number two right now. Like, it looks so good. And it again, really yeah, does. like you said, like what a great use of the premise.
0: Well, well, here's, here's something rare. Here's how, how I am predicting that this film is going to be something special. In the, how often have you seen this in a horror trailer? In the very opening of the horror trailer, it's almost like they show the dramatic part of it where the, basically this girl, um, she's not in a good situation in her home. And, and you know, it's a terrible. I haven't seen the trailer in a while. But you can tell from the little story beats that are in the trailer that there's some genuine thought. There's some real, like, uh, pathos to this. Like, the way it's written yeah is is really well. I mean, it almost looks like like a serious like a serious drama in the beginning. You know, the first time I ever saw the trailer, I'm like, "Wow, this is an engaging, gripping drama, right?" You know, and then and then it turns into it's a horror trailer. And so just the fact that they can deal with and show us in the trailer that these dramatic moments are going to have some weight and merit to them. I think the rest of the film is going to be very impressive too.
3: Yeah. I agree with you. I'm with you too.
0: Yeah. So uh, we're all looking forward to that and that's coming up August 26th in theaters. So Josh, this actually was kind of a segue though. It kind of reminded you of another film you wanted to talk about a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, I had just seen the 2016 film Hush, which is a Blumhouse uh, release and I think what it has in common, I was like, is this a theme? We could do a show on this. And I quickly decided probably not a good idea, but like, what about handicapable horror, Jay? Um, You've got these people who are dealing with what could be considered a handicap or, or differently abled. I honestly, I don't know where we're at with these terms at this point, but <laughs>
0: but we're we're trying. So that's you know close enough, right? I mean, we're. Right, I mean, right, I'm, right. yeah,
1: I'm, I'm not intending to uh, offend anyone here, but what what I'm saying is that these guys, um, they've they've got a physical impairment, and it adds to the horror, and it really adds a great, again, unique pr- beginning premise. Um, you know, don't breathe. As your 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 monster is blind, which is a a totally new twist on something I, I've never thought of or seen before. Hush is really interesting. Where you, it's essentially a home invasion film. It is a home invasion film with a with a slasher. Yet mm-hmm. the person who is uh, being pursued, the the woman who's being pursued, is deaf and mute, and it's wow. really interesting wow. how they handle this and when the killer realizes that that is the case and how the killer goes about toying with this person's um, state and how the person played by Kate Siegel in the character of Maddie um, is able to overcome or attempt to overcome her own disabilities. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating um, to watch. And I this is directed by Mike Flanagan. And I know I, I actually owe the listeners an apology because we were going on and on about Ouija Origin of Evil a few weeks ago when I was uh, talking about Dead of Summer and how bad I thought it looked. And many of our listeners wrote in to tell me, what are you, crazy? It's directed by Mike Flanagan. It's going to be awesome. And so um, – Mike Flanagan is someone who has built trust within the horror community due to absentia and and Oculus and um, you know, his other work. And so
0: I do love absentia.
1: So apparently Ouija: origin of evil is one that people are, are excited about. I believe he is also the director as we, I think we mentioned this before, that is the one they're looking at to do um, the new Halloween film. For Blumhouse, mm. so maybe another reason to look at Hush thinking about how he might approach uh, a Michael Myers story
0: that's interesting, yeah. Hmm.
1: But, um, but Hush is really good, and you know, it relies primarily on the performance of Kate Siegel, who playing this deaf person. I don't believe, based on having seen the film, that she in real life is actually deaf, but she does an excellent job in the movie. Um, it's mostly just her, I suppose you could call it a two-hander between her and this home invader played by john gallagher jr yeah but it's it's really strong um it's a little film it's not super ambitious it's a one location for the most part and so it feels very small and kind of slight in that way and maybe slightly forgettable in that way but if you like home invasion films if you like kind of a modern slasher, it's a really great entry and a really interesting film, and an, another good example of what Blumhouse is doing now. and And Mike Flanagan just is a is a really skilled director. I think I would give this one a seven point five, and and say rent it. Um, I would rent it right away, though. It's a you know this is a stream it right now. It's on Netflix currently mm-hmm. for Netflix subscribers. It's one. You can check out for free, and so right, highly re- recommend you do it. It's a great film, and probably will make my end of year list this year in 2016. Although maybe toward the bottom of that list, it will. St- it, I'm, I'm guessing it's still going to rank based on what we've seen so far.
0: It's interesting that you're talking about this because um, Hush, along with Don't Breathe, I mean, those remind me a lot of the Wait Until Dark from 1967 yes. with uh, yeah. Audrey Hepburn. And what's really cool right. about what you're describing is like, and and what we see and don't breathe, like that premise. It's almost the wait until dark premise flipped around. Yes.
3: That's exactly right. And yeah, it, you're it, not you're not dealing with a victim
2: here.
0: Yeah, this is the inverse of that, and I think that's very clever. And I bet you all. Both of those films, I bet Hush and Don't Breathe probably um, owe something, you know, in their inspiration to wait until dark. Now, for the listeners out there, I mean, it's it's tense. I mean, it's it felt more like a thriller the last time I watched it than a full blown horror movie. But it is scary. I mean, it's home invasion. And if you want to watch something a little bit older with with Audrey Hepburn, Wait Until Dark 1967 is a great pick.
1: Absolutely.
0: And Alan, and Alan Arkin. Oh yeah. Richard Crenna, right? Yep. Yeah. That's good stuff.
1: And I just wanted to also add that Kate Siegel, she co-wrote, um, Hush as well with Mike Flanagan. So congratulations to her on that. It was her first writing credit that I'm seeing. So she really nailed it there. She's one of the stars of Oculus, obviously. And, um, She's in Ouija Origin of Evil as well, so someone that Flanagan likes to work with. It's probably his wife or his girlfriend, and I just am out of touch with that. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> she, well, she's uh, she's really good.
0: You're not keeping up with the Hollywood fan mags. I haven't done it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so celebrities, they're just oh. like us.
0: Yes. So, okay, so we just we're, what we're going to do is we start to wrap up the show. We have a, a few things that we want to kind of. Um, rundown through for everybody we saved this uh for the end portion of the show in case you don't want to hear any of it you can just i guess shut off the podcast but but this is like a, a lot of really cool stuff actually we got some prizes we're going to be giving away and we got some listener feedback and so that's what we're going to be moving into now um and josh I, I i let's kick it off with um tell him about the winner of the pen
1: Okay, so we've got um, these pins from I.B. Trav. He, again, is the guy who does the um, horror icons within the Scooby-Doo world. So he, he started out posting these images online, which were just hilarious, of kind of classic scenes from Scooby-Doo, but with Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers or Pinhead or whoever mixed into that scene in, in place of the Scooby-Doo monster. He now is doing a series of pins and a book, I believe, as well, which I'm really excited about the book. But the series of pins just feature a horror icon. And at the time of this recording, pin number two is about to be released. It's going to be uh, a ghost face inspired pin. This first pin, which we're giving away tonight, is a Michael Myers-inspired pin, again,
0: in the style of the Scooby-Doo cartoon. I B Trav nails the Scooby-Doo look. Yes. Like it's amazing. Cause you remember how excited you were when you saw like um, Batman and Robin and Joker and Penguin on the Scooby-Doo cartoon. Right. Yeah. Like, the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Those guys <laughs> like exactly. that was yeah. so excited to see them adapted and, and just pulled into that universe. Well, we see these like, like truly amazing classic horror monsters. Uh, yep. put in there and it looks it looks right on the money ib trav you got mad skills
1: yeah that's awesome okay yeah i, I mean i would like to see a show frankly yes uh, with with uh, his i would like to see the scooby doo version of um of what he does here i think it's, it's, a, modern, right it's
3: a modern a modern scooby
1: doo that yeah. way, with with the, well, i want it to look awesome. I want it to still just look like <laughs> just like the original Scooby Doo but with yeah, yeah. with our four characters in those in those would be really
0: cuz here's the thing i am so into Daphne which is the one in the purple dress redhead oh, i can't even gonna tell say, you yeah. i'm going to get going to get crazy right here on the podcast <laughs> are you
3: sure that's daphne
0: yes I'm positive it's not Velma no you're the one that likes Velma Doctor no
3: I don't like Velma I like Daphne too but I guess you're right I guess that is Daphne yeah Velma's
1: the so other you one. put Daphne in the ha- Halloween remake and Ooh. then you get
3: yeah, yeah, you, yeah. see that it would be interesting fun. because when they pull the like <laughs> when they pull the mask off of Jason Voorhees it's not going to be the town's mayor you know it's it's going to be say, this, this sort of this sort of
0: it weren't for you decrepit, snooping kids
3: yeah exactly <laughs> I would have killed that town if it wasn't for you stupid – for the for you
1: meddling kids.
0: <laughs> for you snooping yeah. kids. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. I'm, so. I'm
1: going to put some of his artwork actually in in the show notes so people who haven't seen it can find it or just go to ibtrav.com or follow him on Twitter or Instagram totally worth following the guy. He's got some really amazing work. He's but.
0: very cool. Okay, so so you're giving, this is the Michael Myers pin right now?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, technically it's called the spooky shape of Haddonfield.
0: Right, right.
1: But yeah, Michael Myers inspired and we are going to give away two of these pins and then two stickers that are the same image as the pin, but they're just a sticker. And so if people want to get their hands on these, they need to email Jay their contact information so that I can get these sent to you. Um, But we're going to draw for our winners right now. So for the first winner of pin number one, here we go. We are going to go into the old HMP hat here and draw out a name. Love it. And it is better be me Ford Ford McBain. So Ford
0: Ford McBain. Yes. I love that.
1: Get
0: in touch with us today. awesome name. It is
1: an awesome name. We will get you a pin.
0: That's right, Ford. And you can get that pin in any color you want as long as it's black. (laughs) Does everybody get that? No. (laughs) That's what uh, Henry Ford used to say about the Model T. He actually said, you can have it in any color you want uh, as long as it's black.
1: Very
3: good. Not as funny when I explain it, but... Actually, it's better when you explain it because no one knew what the hell you were talking about.
0: Okay, first, well, so. <laughs> you have to pay attention since, in school. Since babe.
1: when do you not like explaining jokes? I know, I love it.
0: I just love saying "get it, get yeah. it." Like I love that part. Anyways, okay, so that was the first winner.
1: Okay, pin number two. Here we go, and our winner is Halloween Mom Thirty One.
0: Oh, I Which, love Halloween Mom Thirty One.
1: Yeah, that's Allison with an I for nice. So congratulations, Allison. We know she's a big Halloween fan. It's right there in her name, Halloween Mom 31. So Yes. Uh,
0: Perfect. Yeah, that
1: will be it. And then so we're, we have two stickers really quick. I'm just going to hurry and hold on. Let's see. Okay, this one goes to Sam Loomis 13. So I don't know who that is, but we have your name, Sam Loomis 13. You wrote an excellent review on iTunes. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, And we appreciate all of the people who wrote new reviews on iTunes. And we will get this out to you, Sam. Loomis13, if that is your real name. (laughs) (laughs) Mail J, horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com, and we will send that sticker out to you. And lastly, here we go.
0: One more (laughs) sticker, right?
1: This is one last sticker. This goes to Jonathan Watkins. Um, And Jonathan posted our uh, post on Facebook. So thank you, Jonathan. Nice. And uh, remember we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter now. So uh, if you want to take part in these contests, it's a good idea to be in touch with us there so that you can see all those
0: posts. Heck yeah. And uh, speaking of contests, well, first of all, before we move forward, I just want to thank IB Trav for, you know, participating in that. That's super cool, right? That, that, you know, Donate that awesome work for the podcast. So thank you so much.
1: Definitely.
0: And uh, speaking of amazing artwork that's been donated, I just this week received three incredible posters from Mr. Barlow. Okay. Uh, Mr. Barlow is the name goes by. We got a Salem's Lot poster. Oh, which is just phenomenal. It's it re- is. It looks so good. It's genuinely creepy to me. Yeah, and it yeah. and then and then he's got um, a classic monsters, which is called Monster Mash, and it's got like the crew on there. I'm telling you, it's got Frankenstein's monster, the Wolf Man, Nosferatu, Bride of Frankenstein. Another. Uh, it looks
3: just amazing.
0: Yeah, like it and, and it's incredible. And then it's got um halloween as well there's a halloween poster which is just awesome exceptional so
1: i love my halloween but i gotta say uh, my favorite might be the salem's lot poster that is so striking it's it's close
3: for me between the salem's lot and the classic monsters to be honest with you because they're both great but the salem's lot looks amazing
0: yeah yeah i mean i honestly uh, and i'm being serious i'm having trouble picking a favorite and and i'll i'll be I'm just gonna make a confession right here on horror movie podcast <laughs> as I, I part of me thought I'm just gonna tell this I'm gonna tell Mr. Barlow these got lost in the mail and I'm just gonna <laughs> keep these <laughs> or we even we were tempted at the beginning of the show I'll be you know we were even saying hey there are three of us. You know, Dr. Walking Dead, he, he doesn't have to know. Uh, right. We could just divvy up these three posters. And <clears throat>
3: It was tempting. It was very tempting. Yeah.
0: But Mr. Barlow, I just want the listenership to understand. Mr. Barlow sent these in for free. I don't know. I have no idea how much something like this would cost. It's probably really expensive because it's incredible right. work. Uh, but he sent it in for free and he said, here, I want you to give this to the listeners of HMP as prizes, mm-hmm. And I think that's super and where do you cool. Guys,
3: I mean, where do you guys see? I guess are they going to be in the
0: show notes? Um, I yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he would mind if I post those in the show notes so you could see well, what they look like.
3: Maybe you know what? Maybe check with them first, I guess, to see. But yeah, because I think
0: want yeah, to get I mean, arrested.
3: I guess if they're going to be winning it for free, it doesn't matter. It's not like they have to see, to, you know. But take our word for it. They no, are. They're, they they're are awesome. really really cool
0: and and how do you win these well like i said in five episodes from now we got episode 100 coming up we're going to tell you um what kind of episodes we're going to be doing here at the end of the show so i want you to stick around so you can hear the agenda for the next uh, several episodes but in episode 100 we're going to provide a way for you to qualify to potentially win one of these three amazing posters from mr barlow and speaking of contests, we have another contest that is currently underway. Still, we have the the library at your mercy submissions, and in fact, yep. um, we got some really good submissions. We got uh, Robert sent in horror in the library, is what he's calling it, and I really like that Robert. So it's his horror in the library submission. And he visited his library, which is the Los Angeles Central Library in downtown LA. And he sent some great movie pics. I was reading down through them. He even has a recommendation in there for us, which we will be talking about on a future episode. And I love the photos, too, that, like, made my day. And then, Josh, there's also another awesome entry from Jody, right?
1: Yeah, that's in the feed right there. If, Dave, if you haven't seen that yet, you can check it out. I am looking, out. Yeah. Look at that. I
3: have seen, yes, I did see this before. I did see this. I saw yeah, this Yeah, it was before.
1: on Twitter, so um, yes. hopefully yes. our Twitter followers saw Jody's submissions. But yeah, he's got some awesome ones here. He laid out all of the videos that they had at his library. Um, you know, a lot of more mainstream titles here for the most part, but he pulled out the ones he thought were maybe the stranger ones, which I wanted to share. yes um he has the living corpse which i have heard oh no it's the amazing adventures of the living corpse i've not heard of that one
0: do me a favor josh only tell like five of these because when we do the episode the at your mercy library episode we can talk about the other submissions so just okay. tease them with it a little
1: we've got some one called needle that looks terrifying oh yeah the tagline there is your fate has been chosen <laughs> i thought it Initially, I thought it said your face has been chosen because it's got a face <laughs> with a bunch of needles sticking out of it. Yes, this one is called My Super Psycho Sweet. What is that? Oh, my Super Psycho Sweet 16 Part 2. So <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about that one, but I'm excited to uh, you look know, at least a little bit deeper.
0: That sounds good to me. <laughs>
1: he did have final prayer here in the weirder ones, and I gotta say, Jody, I think me and Dave both gave Final Prayer a pretty good recommendation.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You guys did. Yeah, absolutely.
1: We also got some awesome At Your Mercy library picks from Shani Dreadful. Nice. Of Dreadful Reviews and formerly of the Dead as Hell podcast. Shani is a longtime friend of the show we've been trying to get on and we just have never been able to work out the timing. So hopefully we'll have Shani on in the future. But Chantel, uh, she had three awesome movie selections from her library. Cat People from 1942. Curse of the Cat People from 1944. I know Dave is a fan of those, if I'm not mistaken. In. Absolutely. And then we have Tokako, a.k.a. Evil, which is... I believe the very first Greek zombie film. So that's kind of exciting. Um, that would be an excellent selection for our horror around the world segment or maybe yeah, for an At your mercy pick. So thanks, Shani.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear from Shanny again. She's a new mom. Congrats to Shanny and her little family. And you're right, Josh. We've actually tried to connect with her a few times and get her on the show. And um, maybe we could still make that happen one of these days and bring her on as a special lady killer guest yeah so that's just some of the submissions and remember um what you're competing for for this is a free green room blu-ray which is um exceptional so what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna pick as we usually do three or four movies from among these and then we'll have a listener picks at your mercy horror in the library episode and in that episode if we picked one of your movies there you'll We'll draw the name and see who wins that free green room Blu-ray. So Ooh, that's Jay, cool. I think I might see yours
1: amongst Jody's
0: pick. Should I not give it away? You no, wanna... tell it. I got to hear it. I'm, I can't even.
1: It's Lake Placid versus Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I know about that. That's a, what a great idea for a film.
3: Absolutely. <sighs> the... Yeah. That, how's it getting better than that?
0: Dueling beastly freaks. I love it. Okay.
3: Underwater.
0: Speaking of, um, these kinds of movies <laughs> you were going to tell us about Dino's gas station bargain bin, right?
1: Oh yeah. So Dino also sent in a little photo, which, you know, I encourage our listeners to do that. That's, it's cool to just see what you guys have been checking out. And Dino sent a photo of the stuff that was at his local seven 11 here. And I was kind of blown away by the selection. Um
0: This makes me so happy. Dino. I'm there's, so happy right now. There,
1: there are a couple little kid films. There's my fuzzy Valentine and Benji. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a couple of dumb comedies. There's Bulletproof with Damon Wayans and Adam Sandler and mm-hmm. and uh, Burt Wonderstone. Knocked up, but then it's got a pretty strong horror selection here. Uh,
0: Twilight Zone the movie.
1: Yeah, oh, nice. Three season of the witch. Yes. Wow. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: And
0: the awesome. wrong
1: turn to and the fourth kind. I mean, it's not often you walk into a seven 11 and have these options available to you. Halloween season of the witch for three 99. That is a must buy for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is and in what I do. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I'm going to put this photo in the show notes. Um, I stand there and I flip through every single one of those suckers. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if I'm late to something or in a hurry or if like you know people are waiting for me in the car, that's what I do. Dino, this picture made me very happy, very happy.
1: Okay. As nice. we're on the topic of pictures, I just thought I'd bring up really quick, Jody. Uh, we've been getting a lot of pictures from our listeners. Is it been getting their horror movie podcast T-shirts and stuff? We we yes. sent out kind of some of the final remaining ones. There are still a couple left, Jay. Yes. People want to get a hold of those, but, um, we did send out a, a what, like six, a couple of weeks ago to some, some more mm-hmm. people.
0: Yes, we did. We have a couple of left in, and, and, uh, maybe, and I hate talking about this stuff on the air, so maybe I'll chop this out, but basically what I could do, Josh is maybe in the, in the comments, the first comment, I'll put what is left, like the sizes yeah, and what great. they are. And then the first commenters, you know, basically you call dibs and then you pay for your shirt and yeah. I'll send it to you.
1: Don't cut this out because, you know, we have the majority of our listeners do not comment on the site, which is kind of sad. But this will give them a reason to go over there and and see what the shirts are. So Jody gave us these rad pictures of himself at uh,
0: the um, Rugaroo
1: yeah well yes which is cl-
0: which is clearly um uh, like a werewolf roller coaster right werewolf theme? yeah which
1: we love yeah and uh yep. i'm sorry I'm, I'm looking it up on twitter what the name of this park is
0: while you're looking it up i'll describe the photo so so he's he's standing there in front of the rougarou roller coaster which is amazing and he's got his horror movie podcast t-shirt on and uh looks fantastic I'm loving and there's it. there's yeah. another
1: one of him in front of another roller coaster there. Jody says, uh, representing HMP at Cedar point roller coaster capital of the world. Yes. So, that's
0: awesome. That's legit. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Jody. <laughs> that's amazing. We got some
1: cool pictures. We had a picture of the one up on our Instagram account the other day of Allison with a Y wearing her, uh, Halloween or sorry, wearing her horror movie podcast t-shirt at the Motley crew final tour, which I thought was pretty funny and awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> Heck yeah. uh,
0: that's right out there. Yeah, thank you. That that's amazing. I want to thank everybody who you know tries to promote the show like that and supports us by spreading the word. It's wonderful. Okay, guys, we got a couple of emails here. I, I know, like, just just so the listeners know, it's like almost two a.m. for Doctor Shock, but we're cruising right now. We're on a roll. Okay. Just a couple more, and then we'll be wrapping up. So this comes from our friend Gray Imp, and he wrote, Hey Jay, I finally got around to watching Alice Sweet Alice 1976 last night. I noticed you periodically mention this film throughout the HMP run, thus far as one of your favorites. I remember seeing the box cover art for years and years in the old video store. I remember being intrigued, yet also terrified, of the masked girl stabbing the doll. Anyway, years later... It had been in my queue for quite some time. Your persistence in mentioning Alice, sweet Alice, led me to finally check it out the other night. Thanks for (laughs) continuing to hype this movie. I must say this was surprisingly awesome. I enjoyed the music, religious imagery, and creepy mask slash costume of our killer. I'd love to get your thoughts on the ambiguity of the first murder in the film. Um, and, and, And he says, was it Alice after all who killed Karen and and that's like the opening of the film just so people know so it's not a spoiler he said I was not entirely clear on this no one else I know has seen the film so I'm interested in others thoughts on this perhaps you should all review this on the show it would spark some great discussion and thanks for making great shows for horror fans like us the great imp cool thank you for watching that for one thing and thanks for giving me the opportunity to mention it again on another episode and um (laughs) Have you guys have you guys seen this recently? Because I know we reviewed it on Horror Metropolis with the the Lady Killers episode back in I think it's like episode six ish, somewhere around there.
1: No. But I if, should have done for our Proto Sloshers episode, but no. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah, yeah, no, I have not either.
0: Yeah, we definitely need to um I first of all, I need to revisit this. So I I want to answer your question, Great Imp, but I I am not I'm a little fuzzy on the details. I remember it, but like I don't remember all the minutiae about the beginning of the film. So let us get back to you on that. And maybe we will have a, a full spoiler review of that one of these days. That'd be cool if I can talk these guys into it. Also, we got an amazing email and photo from Jason Dragon. This is gonna be in the um the show notes as well. It says, Hey Jay. Today I had the honor of meeting Malcolm McDowell at the horror convention called Flashback Weekend. Awesome. I've been going there since 2004 and have met such horror icons as Bill Moseley, George Romero, Kane Hodder, Bruce Campbell, Dee Wallace, Stone, Sid Haig, Tyler Main, Todd, Tom Adkins, Pat Healy, and Tony Todd. I experienced more nerves today for those five minutes we spoke then meeting all those other individuals combined. My perspiring hand was shaking profusely on his shoulder and couldn't jettison that goofy, crooked smile from my face. See what <laughs> I do for HMP? Kidding, kind of, sort of. But yeah, so he's in the picture, you'll see, and he's wearing his horror movie podcast t-shirt with what? Malcolm with Malcolm McDowell, which yes. I love. He said, I guess I'll have to admit that bucket list of mine tonight. It was a pretty big deal. Do whatever wow. you want with the attachments for the site. HMP sitting front and center with a legend. Take care, Jay.
1: Very cool. <laughs> that was cool. You know, Jason Dragon's also the one that sent us a photo with him with um, David Naughton from mm-hmm. American World in London. So that's awesome. He's getting our name out there, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's legit. I love that. Thank you. And then um this is this is kind of a a little bit of a deep cut kind of comment here, which I really like. This came from Stephanie, and it it just it, I'm just so excited when we get emails from the the lady horror fans because I just in my everyday life I don't encounter a lot of lady horror fans. So it's neat to know they're out there. Stephanie writes, Hello, new listener here. You mentioned a friend that is Logan Marshall Green's doppelganger. You remember that movie, guys The Invitation? And yes. I and I said that Terror Tovey, Craig Tovey, like looks exactly like that guy. <laughs> she said, May I submit the photo below for your review? Logan is Tom Hardy's twin. And so she did a half face and he does look very much like Tom Hardy. That's amazing. So thanks for taking the time to do that, Stephanie. She says, love the podcast, keep up the good work. And then as we finally wrap up Wolfman, Josh, you mentioned that there was some sort of Jay of the dead haiku.
1: We've just been sharing so much great listener stuff on this episode. I wanted to share a horror haiku from Kagan in Salt Lake City. Oh, no. This one is Jason, Jay of the Dead themed. It's probably the best Jay of the Dead haiku we'll ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you want to submit more entries. Make huh? Jay your muse. Make Jay yes. your muse oh, for your poetry.
0: They don't, the need, they don't need to do that. I am not that inspiring, honestly. But um, that's There's super Kagan's
1: nice. Kagan's horror haiku. And, and, you know, Red Cap Jack posted some finger snaps after it. So if we could all finger snap after we hear. And
0: and for those who don't know what a haiku is, according to Merriam-Webster's, it's an unrhymed verse form of Japanese origin having three lines containing usually five, seven, and five syllables respectively. Also a poem in this form having a seasonal reference, whatever that is. This
1: one says, (laughs) back row and center, a peanut buster parfait, no escape. (laughs) For Jay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's hilarious. That's great. You made me happy right there, Kagan. And in <laughs> fact, one time I actually smuggled a peanut buster parfait into a movie theater. It was one of my best sneak jobs.
3: What did you do? Put it in your pocket?
0: Uh, the, the girl I was dating had a big purse. And she put that and, and you some, stuck
3: a peanut butter parfait into this, her purse. Yeah,
0: and some <laughs> chicken strips and a drink. It was and amazing. And I'm
3: guessing you didn't have a second date with this
0: woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Actually, you know that girl. Um, her her name was Laura. And let me just tell you this little shout out here. This is I don't know why I'm going into this. But do you guys remember that movie? It's weird that I remember the foreign name of it. The foreign name is Sporloos, but it's called The Vanishing from 1988. Sporloos. Right. Well, well in Dutch. Well, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, that's right. So that one, she was the one that showed me that. So she stuck around long enough to teach me about that film. Oh, there you go. Anyway, I think that just about wraps up episode 95 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. And I'll just give you a quick, breezy, fast preview of what's coming up. In episode 96, we're going to talk about some Aussie horror. In 97, we're going to get to our, like, horror movies for kids episode. Um, These will all have much more clever titles when we release them. In episode 98, we're going to do a Frankensteinian episode where we review a bunch of the new stuff that's coming out in theaters now that it's getting to be Halloween season. And then in October, we're going to do... For the first week in October, we're going to be doing the old school horror anthology films. And for those films, we're, get, we're actually going to be having a few listeners calling in. We're going to be taking calls on the show, like a real radio show, to celebrate episode 99 and episode 100. We're going to have listeners calling in. And we're also going to be covering the the modern, like the newer horror anthologies on that show. And then in the last two weeks of October, we're going to be covering 80 slashers. So we're going to spend two weeks covering 80 slashers. So I want to invite everybody, email horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com for your favorite 80 slashers. They can be obscure. They can be your favorites. Tell us what you'd like to hear us um, mention or talk about, and we'll see what we can do. And then, guys, moving into November we're going to finally get around to that creepy killer clowns episode. And then, and then in November, like right for the Thanksgiving holiday, we're going to do a horror documentary episode. So that's some, that's some good teasing, right? For the next few couple months, at least.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. I'm excited. Absolutely.
0: Me too. All right. Well, Dr. Shock, I know that it's bedtime. So, uh, what plugs do you have for the listeners?
3: Mama, well, it's the same as they are every week. It's DVDInfatuation.com. Uh, I am now down less less than a year to go. Yes, sir. Nice,
1: um, sir. Thank you.
3: And uh, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter, I do have a uh, uh, a Facebook page. There's a search on DVDInfatuation. And you can catch me on the Land of the Creeps podcast with Gregor Mortis, Jesse Robbins, um talking about uh, we get into everything we get into the new movies the older movies and we finally got into the 1930s now so looking
0: forward to that very cool all right excellent What about you, Wolfman? What are your plugs?
1: I just wanted to thank once again Kagan Breitenbach, a talented musician, also known as Listener Kagan from Salt Lake City, who recorded the music and composed and performed the music for our Screaming Online segment that we did tonight with Stranger Things. Thanks, Kagan. You can find all of his links in the show notes for this episode.
0: Yeah, and even though Kagan writes haikus about me that are not in any way characteristic or representative, of me <laughs> make sure you check out his quartet macabre music of horror cinema it's insanely good and as josh said it's linked in the show notes for episode 95 here
1: got three things i wanted to mention really briefly one is bad news for jay i feel really bad but good news for dave um i wrote an article for a war uh, veterans magazine i was approached to write a uh, an article about the history of war in cinema for a veterans magazine. And I wanted to quote some of my favorite film critics. So I got a, a quote from Jason here. I got a quote from Cody Clark. And I pulled a couple of quotes from uh, Dave's reviews at DVDinfatuation.com. And sadly, I had a really crappy editor actually. They spelled my name wrong multiple times in the magazine. <laughs>
2: Wow.
1: And um, added a couple of typos when I checked it against my original that I had not given them. So I don't know how they got the typos in there. but um, Love it. So not a great editor. They also cut two sections. One of those sections had the quote from Jay of the Dead or Jason Pyle's film critic extraordinaire. (laughs) And the other section had the quote from Cody Clark. So neither of those made it into this, again, very little dumb magazine that's only in Utah. But still I was excited to see Dave's name in print and get oh, yes. uh, how he had a, a quote about Saving Private Ryan and another about Apocalypse Now. Wow well, that then. both made the article and that was cool. Thank you. Um what's the name of thank that? you for that, sir. What's thank the, you
0: for that. What's the name of the periodical? I'd like to try to locate it here.
1: It's called Valor. Um, it is only in Utah, I believe. Although you may be able to order it, they don't have the issue online yet. They they it has shipped out because um, they sent me two physical copies of it. Um, you can find it online at UtahValor and it's mostly. I mean, they say it's for Utah's veterans, but it's actually very general and about just you know veterans in general. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I did an article, again, that's just like a really brief survey of um, wartime cinema. That you know, I, I thought I did an okay job, but it's not like – it's not any great insights. It's just like a – it's literally just a survey of the history of war on film. And then I did an interview with a friend of mine who has produced a lot of um, independent war films. Mm-hmm. Named Adam Abel, he did a film called Saints and Soldiers that – was nominated for two uh, Independent Spirit Awards and has done a couple sequels to that it's film pretty so. good
0: too I mean that's actually a really good film yeah
1: uh-huh. so anyway that was a lot of fun um, the two other things I wanted to mention really quickly Haddonfield Hatchet from Land of the Creeps started law school this week
0: <laughs> congrats buddy that's yeah, amazing congratulations right? that's awesome
1: yeah very cool I'm very excited for him and then there are two horror soundtracks that I wanted to recommend um, for to people who are into the vinyl collection game, like I am. I know we have some other listeners who are into the, into the vinyls here. Um, one of these is released by Mondo just today as we record. Hopefully, there will be some left by the time you hear this. I don't think either of these are limited. I think they printed enough of both of these so that people could get them. But um, the Twin Peaks original score LP went up for sale today. It's a gorgeous uh, piece of vinyl there. And um, it the color, pardon my French, is damn fine coffee. So <laughs> I thought that was great for Twin Peaks. <laughs> and, uh, also, The Witch, um, which that one was released by Death Waltz, I believe. No, sorry, Milan Records. And that is a beautiful one to check out. It is a uh, silver splatter on black for The Witch. Um, wow. Soundtrack. So I would recommend both of those vinyls for people to check out. And those, those my plugs. You can find me online at Icarus Arts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And my other podcast is Movie Streamcast at moviestreamcast.com.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. And I would just love if people check out Movie Podcast Weekly, episode 200. It was pretty freaking funny, actually, and um, we did 17 reviews on that, and for those who were weekly horror movie podcast fans, the listeners asked if we would do that format, and so that's what we did, round robin style, where everybody picked a movie for everybody else, and we reviewed, and it's a blast, so that's episode 200. Check it out, and I love to get emails from you at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And as you can tell, I hope, uh, we love your comments, and so we want you to get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community I feel like we're friends. I really do. So keep those coming. You could comment in the show notes for this episode or any episode, actually. Or you could email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. That's my favorite way to receive feedback from you. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789, like my friend Adam does in Chicago. You can find all of our past episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast, as well as Horror Metropolis, at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. We are now on Instagram, and you can find that at horrormoviecast. It's just like the Twitter handle, which is horrormoviecast. You can subscribe free in iTunes. And um, honestly, if you haven't left us a review yet, we would love that. It helps us out a ton. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We'll have that linked in the show notes for this episode. And I think that's it. So on behalf of Wolfman Josh and Dr. Shock... We thank you for listening to episode 95 and join us again Friday after next for horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies.